Hi there, welcome to Glenlyden Baptist Church's podcast network. We're glad you can join us today. If you'd like more information on the church, please visit us on our website, www.gebc.org.nz. We hope you enjoy the pod. We're in Hebrews. Do you know that for years and years and years, scholars, theologians have battled and battled to try and discover who it is that was the writer of the book of Hebrews. And no one has been able to land into that space. So, so this week, I, I did some intense study um, in the Greek and, and commentaries. And out of all the scholars and theologians in the world, I've landed on who the writer is. The writer is a barista because he brews. I'll just let you percolate on that for a while, shall we? <laughs> that was sad, wasn't it? I'm in bad form this morning, okay. <laughs> I told that to my son who is a barista and he's, he just cracked up. He thought that was great. He says, you've got to do that one, Dad. Cool. Hey, um... We are in Hebrews chapter 5, starting verse 11, going through to 6.12. There are four main passages in this part of Scripture. Uh, One of them is particularly difficult. So I want to give you some context first, um, just so we're back up to speed to where we are um, in the book of Hebrews. So um, the Hebrews have tasted the goodness of Jesus. Yeah? Yeah? Yet many of them are falling back into their old ways. So they know Jesus, they've tasted his goodness, but they are falling back into their Jewish customs and sacrificial ways. They're going back to what they knew instead of stepping forward into the future that God had for them. I I thought quickly about that this morning. I thought, you know, we do that, don't we, sometimes? We step back to what we know, what we feel is safe and secure without stepping into actually what God has for us. Sometimes it happens on a Sunday. We sense the Spirit of God moving and stirring, but instead of moving into that unfamiliar territory, you sit back into what you know. I feel safe if I say nothing. I feel safe if I just sit in my chair. This is what the Hebrews are doing. They're going, we've tasted Jesus, but times are tough, and they're going back to what they know. The writer of Hebrews has gone to great lengths so far to point out to the Hebrews that Jesus is greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. In fact, his name is above all names. He's the great high priest. If you were here last week, you'll remember that one. He is our great high priest. And so the writer is encouraging the Hebrews not to fall away from the faith they have in Jesus. But it's at this point today where his tone begins to change. So we are in Hebrews 5.11. We're starting there. I'm going to read to you um, Hebrews 5, 11 through to 14. And um, this first section of Scripture, I've entitled this, describes spiritual adolescence. Spiritual adolescence. 
Let me read this to you. About this, it starts. And I'll put in brackets here, Christ being the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. About this, we have much to say, which is hard to explain. Since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of God's word. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. That's the word of God, for they are a child. But solid food, that is for the mature, for those who have their faculties trained by practice to distinguish good from evil. Spiritual adolescence is the failure to grow in your faith. Here the people, here are the people who have been Christians for quite a period of time. And the writer is saying, by this time, you ought to be teaching other people. But he says, you still need someone to teach you the ABCs of the gospel, the word of God. Their spiritual adolescence. And they are under threat due to this immaturity. The writer makes three really important and insightful observations about this problem of spiritual adolescence. The first one is this, that age alone does not produce maturity. Yet that's what we think, right? As we get older, we become more mature. It's amazing how many of us would think that. But in his book, The Age of Opportunity, Lawrence Steinberg makes the case that human beings are entering and staying in adolescence Longer than ever before. If you're not sure what adolescence is, it's that stage, um, developmental stage that occurs from puberty to adulthood. So that's the time when, when, a, when a child is starting to become an adult. There's a change in their bodies until they get to the point where they no longer need the support of their parents. They can begin to live on their own. Recent studies have said that it starts around the age of 10, believe it or not, and ends around the age of 26. Yeah, exactly, right? I know you're all looking around at each other going, no, you haven't grown up yet. <laughs> well, Kenda, Dr. Kenda Cressy Dean did some study around this and actually discovered that at the, that stage of adolescence actually for some people carries through their whole life. Um, particularly when you look at the state of Western culture, the price of housing, the cost of food, people are staying home longer and longer and longer, and so the stage of adolescence is sometimes um, going on for further. Sadly, I think, you know, if I take that example, many Christians live in a state of spiritual adolescence, and they pass that on to the next generation. The sad part about this is that you know, there are parents who live in a state of spiritual adolescence. And if they live in that space, they pass that on to their children who never mature in Christ as well. And it's no wonder I think the Western church has some problems today. So number one, the age alone does not produce maturity. Number two, maturity is self-identifying. There are clear markers of spiritual adolescence. There's, here's two of them. Number one, the inability to instruct others, the Word of God says. 
Though they've been Christians for many years, they still cannot help anyone. They've nothing to say to help another who may be struggling with an issue in life. They cannot even point someone to Jesus. They do not understand the word of righteousness, God's word or God's divine program, which results in us having right conduct in our lives because they themselves are children and only want to continue to drink milk. Another observation is the inability to discern good from evil. There are those who mean right and think they are doing right, but are continually doing the wrong thing, creating problems, situations, and difficulties with other people. Today, with the ability to to search on Google, um, you can find Christian content anywhere you want it. But many are losing their way to false teachers online. There's some really bad teaching online. Or some are becoming personality followers. The celebrity teachers. And so they believe that what they hear from these people to be true. And they don't test it with the word of God. And so they lose the ability to test what is good and what is evil. So immaturity is self-identifying. Thirdly, spiritual adolescence is a very costly thing. A very costly thing. It says here about this, he says, We have much to say which is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. There is so much of the riches of Melchizedek priesthood of Christ which I want to tell you, says the writer, which would make your starved life burst into bloom like buds in the spring if you could but grasp it. But you would not get it because you're so dull of hearing. There's a very grave danger threatening those who continue in this condition of spiritual adolescence. That's the first section. The second section of Scripture is Hebrews 6, 1 to 3. And I'm calling this one the spiritual meat eaters. I'm a barbecue guy, so I love this one. Let me read it. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God with instruction about ablutions, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Here the writer is really encouraging us to graduate From milk to meat. From spiritual adolescence to spiritual meat eaters. Solid food is for the mature. Your Bible, if you're reading it, might use the word perfection instead of mature. So the idea that solid food brings us to perfection. Let me just put a little warning in here. That does not mean sinless perfection. 1 John 1.8 says, if, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. No, it's not sinless perfection he's talking about. It's maturity in Christ. This maturity is produced by acting on what you believe. By stepping out in what you believe and putting what you believe into practice. 
That's what produces maturity. To reach this level of maturity, it means to leave behind the principles of the gospel. This is what the writer is saying. The ABCs, the elementary truths, the familiar ground by which we all came to faith in Jesus. So not laying again the foundation. You know, if you, you've had the image of a builder here who lays a foundation and it's ready to build upon. But they come back the next day and they tear the foundation up and then they lay it again. You come back the next day, tears it up and lays it again. Comes back the next day, tears it up, lays it again. There's nothing but a repetitive laying again and again of the same foundation. There's no growth. Nothing's been built on the foundation. So there's no maturity. Major Ian Thomas once said this. He said, you know, he said, I've discovered an interesting thing about American Christians. They do not usually come to church to learn anything. What they want to hear is the same old stuff so that they can say, Amen, brother. Amen. That is the laying of the same foundation over and over and over and over and over again. The foundation here in this passage is called the elementary teachings of Christ. The elementary the elements of it are listed for us, and they fall into three categories. Number one, these are the doctrinal truths concerning how we come to faith in Christ, like repentance from dead works and faith towards God. Number two, um, then the teaching concerning the church's ordinances, what we do here, baptism, the laying on of hands. And then number three, the doctrine concerning prophetic matters, like the resurrection and eternal judgment. This, says the writer, is the milk. This is the foundation that our faith is built on. It's the foundation that allows us to build on and move on into maturity. Now, just so you know, when he says these things, he doesn't say leave them behind like that. He doesn't say never remember them or deny them or neglect them. No, they're just no longer the center of our attention. The writer says, you know these things. You've been talking about them for too long. Get on with it. There's much more in front of you. Now, the third section of the scripture, and this is a particularly tough one. And I found that actually some scholars won't even write about this section because it's too hard to land on exactly what it means. Um, and so I danced through a whole bunch of stuff. And I've landed where I think I need to land. So I'm going to share it with you. Um, but I encourage you to go home and read this and to do your own study around this passage of Scripture. And I'm happy to be proved wrong. Okay? I'm not going to hold tight. I'm happy to be proved wrong, but this is where I've landed. So I'm going to share this with you. So this is Hebrews 6, 4 to 8. And you'll see why this is a difficult piece of Scripture. For it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened. That's hard enough, right? Who have tasted the heavenly gift, have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come. If they then commit apostasy, which is they now renounce their faith and move away from it, since they crucify the Son of God on their own account and hold Him up to contempt. 
For land which has drunk the rain that often falls upon it and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whom, whose sake it was cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, ah, it's worthless. And near to being cursed, its end is to be burned. Sobering, isn't it? What idiot would want to preach on that passage? Because it says it's impossible to restore again to repentance these who experience certain spirit-given blessings if they fall away, if they renounce the faith. The spiritual blessings are these, those who have been enlightened, that they've tasted Jesus and it's been good. They've had their eyes opened to their own desperate personal need of a saviour. It says that they've tasted the heavenly gift. This is the gift that God gave from heaven. Remember, God so loved the world that he gave his once and only begotten son. These are those who have known a personal encounter with Christ. They've they become partakers in the Holy Spirit. They've tasted the goodness and the presence of the Spirit. They've tasted the goodness of the Word of God, which means they've entered into the promises of God and the powers of the age to come. They've already experienced the miracle of release and deliverance in their own lives. And yet they fall away. And when they've fallen away, it's impossible, it says, to restore them to repentance. Uh, let me explain it in a couple of ways, because it's difficult. Um, this is one way of explaining it. If the spiritual life follows the same pattern as the physical life, we all know that physical life does not begin with birth. It begins with conception. Are you with me so far? Okay. Maybe we've made the mistake of thinking that, con thinking that conception is birth and therefore have become confused when certain people who look like they were on fire for Jesus have just walked away. If this is the case, then the critical moment is not when the Word of God meets faith. That's conception. It's when the possibility, and that's when the possibility of new life actually arises. The tipping point, I think, for people. Are you with me still? Someone said no? Okay, so let's just clarify that again. So physical life, birth, right? We know that's not the beginning of life. It's a conception. So when someone accepts the word of God, we're going to call it conception. Hasn't given birth to new life yet. But sometimes we confuse that conception as new life. So, and I'll explain that in a minute. But it looks like they're on fire. These people are on fire. They've received the word of God by faith, but then they walk away. Are you with me now? Cool. The tipping point is when the individual is asked to obey the Lord at a cost to themselves, contrary to their own will and desire. Stay with me. When, in other words, the Lordship of Jesus Christ makes demands upon our lives and it comes into conflict with our own desires, our purposes, our own plans, and our program. 
The true moment of birth is Matthew 16, 24. If anyone will come after me, said Jesus, let them deny themselves, take up the cross, and follow me. The moment of birth. That is when the life of faith begins. When you act on what you believe, stepping out upon what you believe, and putting into practice what you believe. If this step is refused and the decision is made to reject the claims of Jesus to lordship and control, it may lead to that person dropping out of church and, in effect, to renounce their Christian faith. If that occurs, the case, the writer says, it's hopeless. Stay with me. We see in the parable of the sower, some seed as it gets scattered, right? On different types of soil. Some gets scattered onto rocky ground. Not gravelly ground, but ground where there's an underlying layer of rock. And when the seed begins to sprout, because the rock gets hot from the, from the sun, it dies and so the weeds grow up. These are those who receive the word with joy and endure for a while, but when persecution or difficulty in life comes, they fall away. This brings us to the explanation for the hopelessness and the impossibility of return. Stay with me. Stay with me. It says, remember, it's impossible to restore them if they then commit apostasy, since they crucify the Son of God on their own account and hold Him up to contempt. Got to drop you back into the context of the scripture now. The context is that the believers are going back to their sacrificial system. Remember that at the beginning? They've tasted the goodness of Jesus. They've got all of these blessings that the scripture says. They've partaken in the Holy Spirit. They've done all of that, but they're pushing it aside. They're going back to the sacrificial system and sacrificing for their sin instead of going to Christ, whom they've met. Philippians 3.18, Paul says they become enemies of the cross. They don't need to go back to the sacrificial system. Jesus is the great high priest. In the context of Scripture we're reading, he's the great high priest. He's the only one they need to go to. So in effect, when they go back to sacrificing back here in the old sacrificial system, they're sacrificing Christ over and over and over again. And that's why it says it is impossible for them to come back to repentance if that's what they're doing to Christ. Are you with me? 1 John 2.19 says, There are certain ones who went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued to stay with us. But they went out that it might be plain that they were not of us at all. There will be people who sit in a place of conception but never give birth to that reality of faith in their lives. And so they look like they're on fire, but then they leave. It's a reality. Scripture tells us that will happen. The last word on this illustration is the reality of two plots of land. The same plots of land, side by side, um, sown with the same seed, receive the same amount of rain. One plot of land, um, the seed grows and produces a beautiful harvest. In the other, 
it produces thorns and thistles. The rain pitches the spiritual blessings of verses 4 and 5, that partaking of the Holy Spirit, the goodness of God's Word, that uh, partaking of, of that relationship with Jesus. The rain falling on rocky ground brings forth thorns and thistles. This is why God will not permit someone to go on in truth until they absolutely surrender everything to Christ. For those who refuse to act on that, the end is to be burned. Sobering scripture, yeah? Like I say, I challenge you to go and um, actually do some research on that scripture as well. I've given a whole bunch of stuff in there, and I'm happy to be challenged on it. The last section of scripture today, um, I'm calling this one spiritual fruit. Uh, Hebrews 6, 9 to 12. Though we speak this, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things that belong to salvation. For God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love with which you showed for his sake in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness in realizing the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. There is a test the Lord looks for in the lives of believers. And it's the evidence of love and concern that we have for each other. It's expressed in our deeds of compassion for one another. That's where it's expressed. It says in Matthew 25, 40, And as much as you did it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. This is a heart action. This is a change of heart that drives us to the space where we, we do There's this evidence of love and concern for others comes from this deep love that we have in this relationship we have with Christ. We are encouraged to manifest an earnest, whole-souled, fervent hunger to learn and to act on what we have learned. We are not to be spiritual adolescents. We are to go from conception to birth and to become spiritual meat eaters. We don't want to be spiritually stillborn. Because when we become meat eaters, we develop spiritual fruit in our lives. And it's seen in our love and concern for other people. So, Fano, move on from spiritual adolescence. Let's strive for maturity our world needs it they need to see mature christians not spiritual adolescent christians the result when we move into spiritual maturity become meat eaters is a full assurance of hope that we have in christ let's pray together Father, we have all been in a place of spiritual conception where we came to know you by faith, where your word and our faith interacted and we came into a relationship with you. 
Many of us have moved from that space, Lord, into maturity, but need to continue to grow. Father, we don't want to be spiritual adolescents all our lives. So, Father, help us to be diligent in your word, in loving one another, in showing concern for each other, in praying and seeking you and praying for one another. Help us to grow and act upon the faith that we have, the belief that we have in you. And to step into those unknown places where we begin to grow. Father, at this point, I want to thank you as well. I want to thank you, Lord, for um, those times when we feel that life is difficult because it's in those times that we grow. I remember um, in Hebrews chapter 5, Lord, where you told us about your son Jesus who suffered and it was through suffering that he grew. And so, Father, I thank you for suffering that enables us to grow, that we might grow closer to you, that we might become more mature in our faith. Thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. Thank you for speaking to us, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Cool. Hey, um, you have your hope in Christ, transformed by Christ and empowered through Christ to change the world. God bless you. You have a great week. Thanks again for joining with us today. If you'd like to know more information on the church or reach out to one of the pastors, please visit our website www.gebc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day.